0: the amazing spider talk. Come swing through the air, sit back and prepare for the amazing spider
1: I'm Dapper Dan Gavason, and I'm the founder and editor of SuperiorSpiderTalk.com.
2: And I'm mischievous Marcinacchio, founder of the Chasing Amazing blog and author of 100 Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die.
1: Well, thanks for joining us, everyone, for Episode 2 of the second season of the all-new Amazing Spider-Talk. We hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger
2: picture. In this second season of the all-new Amazing Spider-Talk, we've been taking a look at how Spider-Man hit the big time during the Stan Lee and John Romita Sr. run on the title. We're talking about today the ladies in Peter's life. Both Gwen Stacy and Mary Jane and how their presence in Amazing Spider-Man changed both the focus of the book and Peter's life in general. Dan, we didn't do a proper Valentine's Day episode this season as we did the last few, but this kind of functions as that, right?
1: Yeah, that's a pretty good idea. I didn't think about that. Well, of course, we'll be covering a ton of issues in this run, but if you want to read along with us, we're mainly going to be focusing on Amazing Spider-Man number 41 and the slow introduction of the N.J. Gwen love triangle all the way up until Amazing Spider-Man number 61, as well as maybe some Spider-Man Blue commentary, you know, here and there. Though if you want to hear our complete thoughts on that series, along with our wives' thoughts, you should probably go check out our Essentials episode from last Valentine's Day. Isn't that right, Mark?
2: I think it was two Valentine's Day ago, because we had the wedding issue in between one of them, I believe.
1: You're right, look at that, two years ago, How Time Flies. So I guess whether you've read these stories a million times or never at all, we hope you enjoy our brand new episode entitled The Parker Luck.
0: Now, this is really... Because when John Romita, after Steve Ditko left, John Romita and I were doing the uh, Spider-Man strip and we, we had created, um, not Mary Jane, Gwen Stacy and I thought Gwen Stacy would eventually be the girl that Spider-Man married and Peter Parker married. But just for fun we wanted to introduce another girl so we introduced Mary Jane. Now, these were fictitious girls that we made up out of our heads. They didn't really exist. And yet, once we started writing them, and I started writing the dialogue for them, Mary Jane suddenly had all the personality. Mm. And Gwen, while she was a nice girl, was just a nice girl. And Mary Jane was the one with the fiery personality, and she was hip and everything. And we couldn't control that. We couldn't make Gwen as exciting or personable as Mary Jane, even though we tried. It was like they were living creatures and we couldn't control them. Maybe I shouldn't tell that because maybe it shows that we were a lousy writer in artist.
1: Hey everyone, Dan here again. I just wanted to chime in before the show started in proper to give you a bit of a warning about this episode. When Mark and I were recording it, we had some technical difficulties with our recording setup. I thought I had fixed it, but only realized that I recorded my voice a bit too hot during the interview. It would have meant re-recording the entire show, something that we just couldn't do. So I decided that I would re-record most of my dialogue and try to make the audio the best that I could. That being said, it isn't perfect. A lot of my side of the conversation is a bit blown out, but I re-recorded most of it to make the experience as good as I possibly could. Obviously, I wasn't able to capture the spirit of my original delivery, but I think you'll still get the same great content out of it. Besides, Mark's knowledge really formed the backbone of this excellent show. I hope you enjoy the episode anyway, and know that I'm going to be improving it for the next one.
2: So, of course, Dan, us calling it the Parker Luck, I mean, that's that's a bit of a joke. Uh, you know, the, the Parker Luck is a is a concept that has been a part of Spider-Man from the beginning. I'm sure we talked about it ad nauseum during our Lee Dicko years. And uh, in that instance, we were referring to kind of Peter's very. Um, Uncanny bad luck that always seemed to struck him uh, in terms of the balance of his personal life and his superhero life. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the Parker luck in terms of how this shy kind of outsider guy, who uh, for the first few years of his comic book existence under the the guise of Stan Lee and Steve dicko was also kind of a bit of a grump, uh, all of a sudden became this very popular teenage character with two of the most beautiful young women in comics fighting for his affections more or less
1: well you joke about parker's infamous bad luck but oftentimes when stories look back on this era of the book they kind of portray this as a sort of bad luck because only peter could have two beautiful women fighting over him as if that was an unfortunate thing you know when when luck hits it hits in a way that it kind of cancels itself out
2: I guess, I guess that's one way to look at it, but still, I think I'd rather have that luck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, you know, as, as Dan mentioned in the intro, I mean, we're we're, we're starting around Amazing Spider-Man number forty-one, uh, which was kind of the first issue after the, the two-part Green Goblin arc, which I think, really, for the most part, based on the historical context of things, that was when Ramita. John Ramita Sr. more or less knew he was on the book to stay. Because, you know, he has mentioned when he first did that goblin story uh in thirty-nine and forty, he he didn't know if Dicko was ever go- was going to come back. He kind of thought he would. So he wasn't like kind of letting his own creative juices flow through that story all that much. That was kind of a Stan Lee driven affair. But here, you know, starting with forty one, I mean we have the the rhino on the cover and you know the first of many remita villains created during this run but uh we also get some pretty interesting stuff uh that kind of kick off this um this love triangle which would then be upped even further when mj is introduced an issue later and you know for those of you that have read spider-man blue like we mentioned a lot of the um content for spider-man blue is kind of mind from the issues we're discussing today i mean we're not gonna we're not gonna talk about the arc of spider-man blue per se but i mean you know again if you've read that and you're kind of like oh what what are these issues we're talking about here i mean you know like oh the craven the hunter shows up here's a vulture story now kingpin's here peter's got a motorcycle what's this all about these this all happened between issues like 41 and about 61 which is when peter i my opinion dan i mean I, i think by that point he it was kind of cinched in that he was with gwen uh and we'll kind of discuss how uh lee and ramita established that in these issues
1: well it's it's almost completely one-sided like mj doesn't even seem like there's a like there's definitely a possibility of that happening but the writer's perspective peter and gwen was the thing even if the audience didn't necessarily believe the same thing
2: yeah, I, I, I think that's a fair assessment. And like I said, we'll, we'll, we'll cite a couple of specifics from the run here that kind of point it in that direction. Dan, as I like to do, I mean, uh, if I may, I just want to give a little more historical context for what was going on in the in the Marvel bullpen at this time and kind of what what that history might teach us about these comics. Is that good with you?
1: Yeah, sure. We got a little bit from Jerry, but I bet you could help us round out our knowledge.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the, the interesting thing, of course, is, you know, in addition to unmasking the Green Goblin when Ramita joined the book, the, I mean, the other big thing that it kind of loose end that, of Dick goes that he got to tie up was the the identity of this mysterious niece of, of Aunt May's best friend and neighbor, Anna, Anna Watson. It was her niece, MJ. I mean, we had seen her in... You know, her face obscured a couple times and we were under the impression that she was attractive um, because I think there was one where like Betty Brant walked by her and was like, who is this girl going to see my Peter? But interviews have kind of shown that that Stan Lee was very loath to let uh, Dicko be the one to unveil MJ because he more or less didn't think she could uh, he could cut it in terms of making her look attractive. Um, and you even have a story to that point, don't you, uh, Dan?
1: Yeah, listeners, you may have already heard the story before, but um, I got the opportunity to ask Stan Lee and John Romita Sr. a question um, at a panel they did together in Baltimore at the Comic Con. There, I asked them about the introduction of Mary Jane and and where they drew inspiration for the character from. Was it someone from Stan's life? You know, we we know that Gwen has often been a stand-in for you know his wife. Uh, Joan, um, but where was the Mary Jane character pulled from? And I I was curious about that. And, you know, Stan is hard of hearing, so he didn't really quite answer my question. But he told me a funny tidbit. He said, you know, uh, I'm so glad to have had John there to draw uh, MJ because if uh, Peter had opened the door and Ditko had drawn MJ, she would have been so hideous, he would have slammed the door right in her face. (laughs) <laughs> uh,
2: Peter's not that shallow is he
0: <laughs>
1: I don't know but he does express shallow opinions about this right I mean he's essentially hiding from meeting Anna Watson's niece because he so suspects that she'll be a hideous person because certainly Aunt May and Anna Watson are just
2: trying to pawn off their niece onto Peter Right. I mean, isn't the joke even like, oh, she's got a nice personality. And Peter's like, oh, you know what that means? <laughs> <laughs> In Stan's defense here, Ditko, as as wonderful as a comic book and a superhero artist as Ditko was, I mean, his his people out of costume were never really attractive looking. They weren't meant to be. He, I don't think that was what he wanted. I mean, not that he wanted characters to be ugly, but that was not a priority of his. I've got a thing for his aunt May. Yes, yes. As you, you want her to, you want your aunt to look like the villain in all the scream movies. I was going to say Skeletor. Oh, well, that too. Uh, <laughs> same difference. Um, obviously, Ramita, as we talked about in the last episode, you know the background in romance comics. I mean this this was this was his his the core of what he could do. I mean, you know, I mean, Romita was a great superhero artist too. I mean, it was very dynamic stuff, but his ability to draw these people, I mean, even, you know, I was looking back at some of these issues over the weekend, Dan, in preparation for this. I mean, there there are like panels where Peter is, talking to Aunt May and, like, the way he's, like, holding her chin and stuff. It's very, very, like, romance kind of 50s stuff. You're like, whoa, Peter, what are you about to do with Aunt May there? I mean, like, <laughs> <God>. <laughs> looks like he's about to lean in. It's kind of weird.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Peter's um, expressing the same lust for Aunt May that I have. After homecoming, my wires are all crossed regarding Aunt May.
2: Yes, there you go. Just, just hyper, hyper stylized. And of course, when MJ was introduced, I mean, as again, like we mentioned, she's based off of visually off of Anne Margaret. I mean, Ramita has admitted as much on many occasions. Uh, Anne Margaret, of course, uh, was at the time the sex kitten to top all sex kittens. I think that's a fair description. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> go, see, go see Bye Bye Birdie. You know, <laughs> if you don't, if you don't know what I'm talking about, and um, but interestingly enough. Like as Jerry attested to, MJ's introduced, and you know I think the fans were into her, but Stan was still like, "Don't forget about Gwen." <laughs> so um, almost immediately, Gwen is 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 dialed up. I mean, you know, she kind of dumps the 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 look that Dicko had introduced for her, and 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 has a looked at more models. Um, MJ, I mean, to the point there's even an issue in this uh, a, a scene in in the midst of these issues where. Peter makes a comment about, hey Gwen, your hair looks great like that. And I think either Harry or Flash are like, Yeah, it looks like MJ's. It's like ah <laughs> <laughs> and of course, like they dressed they dressed Gwen more stylishly. You know, MJ's introduced and she's kind of got the very mod look going and and Gwen at that point was still very prim and proper. They started putting her in more flashy dresses, short dresses, go go boots, all that kind of stuff. So it 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 you know there was clearly like you know, not only in the story itself, a competition, if you will, between MJ and Gwen, but, you know, is was, was clearly being challenged by Stan to to up the ante because Stan envisioned Peter with Gwen. And, you know, for all the talk of the love triangle, it, it gets compared a lot to Betty and Veronica from the Archie comics. That's true to a sort of extent but it's really very superficial um and and we'll talk a little bit about that in some of these uh stories here so um shall we get into the actual content here dan let's do it mark all right well there's a reason i wanted to start on amazing spider-man number 41 because there's a pretty key scene at the end of this story after spider-man dispatches of the rhino um he he buys himself this motorbike this motorbike that Shows up a lot in the, in this run of issues and, um, you know, I, I kind of think that's, I don't know, the sign of things to come with Peter's life changing. I mean, like at that point, Peter really wouldn't have something like that under the Ditko years. And, and you know, they kind of justify it here by saying, well, I need to get around as, um, as Peter with more speed instead of always having to dress up as Spider-Man and swing across town. So that's kind of your justification for it. I guess they didn't have subways in Forest Hills at that point. <laughs> a boy only becomes a man when he owns his own motorbike. There you go. Peter kind of pulls up on the bike in front of the the trifecta of Harry Osborn, Flash Thompson, and Gwen Stacy. I mean, they're like thickest thieves in this entire run of issues, which I find funny. Gwen with the two guys. <laughs>
1: uh, and neither of them seem to be going after
2: Gwen. No, I mean, Flash is being Flash, but, yeah, Harry is just kind of like, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 Flash is doing his usual, like, ripping on Puny Parker, and, and Harry's just kind of like, oh, he's not so bad, which is, again, a big drastic tonal change from what we saw during the Ditko um, comics. I mean, like, none of these – they all thought Peter was a creep. And a lot of times it was because Peter was inadvertently being a creep because he was distracted with his aunt being sick or he had to go run off and save the day as Spider-Man. And, you know, the way it was being conveyed to his peers was that he wanted nothing to do with them. And all of a sudden there was this clear effort being made into making Peter social.
1: And Gwen might not be expressing these thoughts as openly as Harry is, this kind of he's not so bad attitude, but Gwen is thinking very differently about Peter all of a sudden. Yes,
2: yes. And, and she even, like, makes a comment to Peter here when he pulls up on the bike, like, oh, I never saw you as the bike type. And Peter says something to the tune of, well, there's a lot you don't know about me. And to me, like, I kind of feel like that is, you know, the gauntlet being thrown down on these issues that, like, okay, all of a sudden, like, this is an angle. It's also interesting in this issue, Betty Brant is reintroduced after being kind of out of the way for a while, and... She and Peter have a very awkward encounter and then Ned Leeds shows up and Peter is kind of like, oh, man, I'm as glad that he showed up as as she was because I that that conversation was going nowhere. I mean, like and, and Betty Brandt was a very Dicko girl, like Dicko liked using her uh, thought, you know, you know, kind of an older, more mature woman. Uh, she's a she's a secretary at the at the Bugle. So she's kind of got this very officious, prim and proper thing going and clearly in these issues now with Dick gone, Ramita and Lee are slamming the door shut on Betty Brandt. So that's another sign, telltale sign that things are changing here. It's the classic lose the high school girlfriend when you go to college routine. Exactly. You know, because who wants to who wants to be making those long distance phone calls, Dan, right? <laughs> yeah, certainly not. Um, Although he still has the high school bully as one of his friends. (laughs) (laughs) So after this whole chance encounter, you know, in issue 42, there's kind of this very – it's, you know, Amazing Spider-Man number 42. I always get a chuckle at it because it has this very bizarre cover of – jameson's kid as the astronaut john jameson fighting spider-man he's like a villain again but he's not man wolf this time (laughs) Uh, (laughs) he hasn't gone full werewolf yet (laughs) it's a pretty forgettable story as as it turns out a lot of these lee and ramita's comics are like these these are pretty forgettable individual superhero stories but then the last panel of amazing spider-man number 42 might be the most famous panel in comic book history yeah at least one of them for sure i mean certainly probably the most famous superhero panel that doesn't actually have the hero in his costume how's that sound (laughs) or barely has the hero yeah and of course can why don't you tell us what it is dan
1: Yeah, well, it's the face it, Tiger, you just hit the jackpot panel. Uh, MJ's introduction, Peter opens the door, his mouth hangs wide open, uh, and he's looking there at MJ in her, I guess, black top that would become kind of emblematic of her appearances for the rest of time. Uh, I think if, if Gwen has the black headband, MJ's got the black top. And, uh, and there she is Counterposto, standing there, you know, looking like the most attractive thing that ever pay- appeared in the pages of this comic. And Mark, when you say she looks like Ann Margaret, that's putting it mildly. I think that you can look up Ann Margaret on like Google images and you can see the drawings that John Romita straight up like drew over. You know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. it couldn't be more striking of a resemblance.
2: Yeah, I mean it's it's they're not even hiding it, which no. is fine. I, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, but that was the thing. I mean, Dick Dicko just didn't have that sensibility to do something like that. I mean, you know, and I don't even know if Dicko would have known who Air Margaret was.
1: <laughs> no, probably not. Yeah, I, I don't take Dicko as the kind of person who's pop culture savvy and into fashion models.
2: Yeah, you know they were those models are moochers. I mean, yeah. Well, they have it their looks. What do they actually contribute to society, Dan? <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> I couldn't um, have said it better as St- Steve Ditko myself. There you go. Um, you know, if Dicko's listening, we apologize because you know we know he listens. So, um, and this, of course, I mean, like as as phenomenal as an intro as this is. You know, this leads us directly into Amazing Spider-Man number forty-three, and which is another Rhino story. But then there is this whole thing with Peter, you know, seeing the Rhino rampaging on TV and and taking his bike to the scene as the as a bugle photographer. And MJ comes with him, and like, I don't know, Dan. Maybe I'm like being a little overzealous here, but this is like some to me. This whole thing on the bike feels very edgy for the time in terms of a, of like what you would see in a in a superhero comic between a guy and a girl, right? It still feels really charged.
1: Like yes. when I when I read this, this is one of my favorite moments from the entire John Romita run. It seems like such an innocuous thing. But there are a bunch of things. Like there was the Green Goblin like nearly merged with Peter's life, but this was the first time he really had someone taking an interest in his work as Spider-Man in a way like that MJ would want to go with him. It seems like a threat to his, his secret identity in a way we'd never seen before. He had to actually like really duck out of there based on someone who was actually kind of like tuned into the way the world works.
2: Definitely. But also like beyond that, like she's very forward and like direct with kind of, wanting to be with Peter and being part of the adventure like there's a there's a risqueness and a sexiness to this here that I don't think you got in comics before this.
1: I mean I I don't know about you Mark but I I when I you know read this for the first time, you know, my first time through, you know, I think anybody reading this would go, "Oh, this is where this is headed." Is like Peter's going to be with MJ, like the possibility seemed Like endless, like what an exciting new person to introduce into his life. It introduced a lot of risk, but I I, I cannot imagine anyone reading this and going, "I don't want to see more adventures with these two together."
2: Yeah, I mean, she seems and she seems like his equal too. There's no damsel in distress element here. Like, like we don't have the rhino taking her hostage or anything like that. Like, it's very very independent of that which is again very kind of for the time astounding I mean even now
1: <laughs> yeah and I, I it, it's funny because like uh, John Ramita seniors um, drawing of MJ is certainly very alluring and 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 Gwen would ultimately get like a makeover and we will talk about but you know if Stan was really going to um, have an influence over who Peter would ultimately end up with and, and who he preferred as Peter's girlfriend, he kind of shot himself in the foot because the way he writes MJ is so much more interesting than Gwen. And even from this point on, like Gwen would only continue to become more of a silver age girlfriend. Uh, While MJ in this early appearance was anything but, you know, she, she was the exciting, you know, girl that could be. Uh, at the other end, uh, of, of the superhero comics, you know, I, I guess the future of women in superhero comics was, was appeared out of nowhere, despite
2: the writer's intentions. Well, I guess, I guess you could say she, the way she was written seems very unique, unless you were, uh, what's her name from the Deadpool comic who thought that MJ was having a stroke the way she was talking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 that's true. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but anyway, um, and of course, um, you know, kind of back to your point about the whole Gwen makeover. I mean, by the end of this issue, I mean, you know, Stan, Stan must have even known right away from MJ's intro that she was kind of a force of nature here because the Amazing Spider Man 43 is also the debut of the headband for Gwen, which kind of became, like you said, her signature, but it was also done to kind of soften her visually because. Prior to that, she had what I could best describe as look like little bat flaps in her hair <laughs> <laughs> that Dicko <Owen> had put in. <laughs> That's a pretty accurate depiction of it. Like the hair had like life of its own in a way. Yeah. It's like, is that is that the bat signal? No, no. It's Gwen's hair. Which And, and, and by the way, Dan, it is worth noting that during the Dicko Lee issues, when Gwen was introduced, she was kind of like this queen bee, quote unquote, attractive character. Kind of like a mean girl in a way. Yeah. Yeah. But like, you know, the guys were kind of drooling at her, but like it just didn't have the same visual pop that these characters here had. No, not at all. Like I said, we have the makeover of Gwen beginning at the end of this issue. And then I guess there's also as a, and, and the way the panel is drawn, it's almost like it's, you know, at the time, Ramita is doing like kind of these bigger more lush panels with more going on and, and, and less, less of the grid. Um, but at the very end of 43, like there's kind of like this little grid, uh, stuck in at the end. Um, kind of looks like it would be part of a nine panel grid, except it's not because Ramita just didn't do a lot, but it's like Peter calling MJ and MJ is like on the phone with a hairbrush or something. It looks incredibly awkward and, and pushed in, but it was to establish the fact that like MJ, was not going to be at peter's beck and call like he she's just kind of like okay cool whatever uh you know i got other plans tonight dude <laughs> and and to me like that was kind of kicking off between Gwen's makeover and then like that kind of looking looking like it's being shoehorned in it was almost like Stan setting up like we got to make sure that Gwen stays hot
1: <laughs> yeah it's it's uh it's an interesting change for her and uh yeah, I don't know. I, it, it's funny because her personality changes, but it almost gets more bland. So it's like, I don't know, the, the yin and yang don't quite balance each other out.
2: Right, right. And then, of course, in the very next issue, Dan, and we're not literally going to go issue by issue here, but, I mean, these first few issues of this of the, of the run we're talking about here really does unpack a lot in terms of the relationship. We have the, the first meeting between – NJ and Gwen in the context of Peter, I mean, you know, totally failing the Bestel test. <laughs> let's, let's be real here.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I don't think there was a single conversation between them that wasn't in some way about Peter Parker.
2: Right. But, um, you know, this is pre-Coffee um, Bean. So they're at the, I forget the name of the, the diner or coffee shop that they're at here. But, you know, Peter is hanging out again with the threesome of Harry, Flash and Gwen. And then MJ comes in and, like, literally all these guys are drooling and their draws are hitting the floor. And Pete's just kind of like, oh, yeah, yeah, I I know her. (laughs) (laughs) This
1: this would set up a really interesting, like, series of back and forth between, like, the MJ-Gwen, like, kind of competition. But it wasn't really necessarily even a competition for Peter in a way that it seemed more like you're describing a competition for – attention from any of the boys
2: i think so and mj's doing the usual like flirting with everyone routine but she does kind of leave the restaurant with peter which then leads to one of the most epic slams i think flash thompson has ever received from a woman before uh you know him kind of like pointing out to gwen how hot mj is and she just goes flash do me a favor stop breathing on me (laughs) and 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 there you go, I mean all of a sudden Gwen has a little bit of charm to her, I would say
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely,
2: and the next level to this would be the dancing issue
1: uh do, do you know what i'm talking about
2: yes yes for for flash's going away party
1: yeah, and that great cover uh of like you know m j dancing in the you know,
2: sequined outfit oh well that's that's towards the end of this run that's that's i I thought you were talking about there's there's in the i think it's the Craven the hunter issue. Um, which is like forty eight, I think. Or when when Craven is shooting things out of his nipples.
1: Oh, that one—the one with the laser beams. Yes. <laughs> um, sorry, <laughs> um, that has its own sexual connotation.
2: Do there it. you go. Um, there is, there is this, you know, because I think up, in, you know, going through these issues here. I mean, like it still feels like Gwen, Gwen. The focus is on Gwen vis a vis her being very coldly jealous and silent about Peter hanging out with MJ, but she never really like makes a dig at Peter. She doesn't even kind of announce any intentions to be with Peter. It's more like everyone commenting like, Oh, Gwen, Oh, you see MJ? And she's just like, shut up. (laughs) And then, um, in this one issue, you know, Gwen plans this going away party, uh, for Flash, who's going to he's he's been drafted into the war, and Peter Peter is going with Harry, Gwen, and MJ all together. And Gwen shows up, and like to me, this is this is the this is the moment where it's like Stan is making it Stan and Ramita are making it clear that it, it, Gwen and and Peter are the couple because Gwen just shows up in this like knockout short sequin dress um like all the guys are like we didn't know you could look like that (laughs) (laughs) and um and then there's this great scene that i i always kind of feels like one of the iconic and uh gwen images it's i mean unfortunately doesn't have the same impact as like face a tiger does but um they're they're playing music at the party and gwen is like originally like carrying a tray of hamburgers and she gives it to MJ because she's like, I'm gonna go dance and it's just like these different poses of Gwen doing like this little looks like a kind of like an Anne Margaret style dance. <laughs> um and and that's when Peter is like really noticing her for the first time and you're just kinda like, Oh
1: <laughs> You're right. This precedes with the one I was talking about, which is amazing Spider Man uh uh fifty nine, I believe.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Where like MJ shows up in the sequence, and the comic like stops dead for her, you know. Yes. Like everyone is commenting, like, like you know, uh, save it for the live ones at Showtime, and and, <laughs> and even Gwen says to MJ, "Your footwork was from Fabsville, Twinkle Toes." Uh, like, like even then, people like everybody's acknowledging how much of a knockout MJ is. Um, which again, written by Stan Lee, so he he's at least leaning into this whole thing, you know, a, a little bit. But but yeah, it's it's hard to tell if it's directed at Peter or more at like kind of the world at large.
2: You know, I feel like from you know after this this the scene of the you know the Craven the Craven nipple lasers these uh, issue, we we really start to get like the interplay like you're referring to between Gwen and MJ, where it's like you, you know they're they're kind of like they're both acknowledging each other as as sexual equals i guess um but also like kind of more gwen than mj gwen is kind of like putting her flag into peter like oh yeah look at that hey mj why don't you go over there now Or MJ, you know, MJ, you know, you seem to like a lot of guys, not just Peter. What's that about? <laughs> <laughs> the the sexual revolution, this was not. No. <laughs> um, but I but I just feel like even with them acknowledging what a force in nature MJ is, like after that issue, I mean, in in the great Spider-Man No More, you know, when when Peter is Gives up being Spider-Man in issue 50. I mean, he he does it because he's daydreaming of Gwen. Like it's like, like MJ is now kind of, I don't want to say comic relief, but she's, she's there because she's popular. She's like that popular supporting cast, uh, supporting character in a sitcom that comes over from being next door and like everyone collapsed when she enters the room. But at the end of the day, it's, it's the focus of the drama becomes Peter and Gwen and kind of this will they, won't they thing.
1: It's the exact opposite of every romantic comedy where, like, the bookish girl to the side of the really attractive girl is the one that the good guy ends up with. Yeah. You know, like this case, it's the really dead sexy one that ends up being the one you get with. Yeah, right.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, I mean – and and for those who always make the, the Betty and Veronica comparisons, I also feel like like it's – it's at this point in this issue. It's, it, I actually kind of charted it around issues 53 to 56. It's the um, the Doc Ock when he boards at Aunt May's house arc that has, like, also a great, co- a great Ramita cover of Spider-Man joining Doc Ock and, like, the Daily Bugle screaming the headline in the background. I mean, that's just one of my all-time favorite Ramita covers. But, yeah, I mean, like, they're... Gwen and MJ are totally doing, like, the Betty and Veronica thing here where it's like, well, you can have them Tuesdays and Thursdays <laughs> and, I can, and we can go out Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and Sunday. <laughs> oh, where, do, Well, like,
1: the, since this is such a short period of time in the overall span of, you know, Spider-Man, where do we think this um, Betty and Veronica, you know, kind of myth comes from? Because I hear that a lot. I mean it does occur but it is such a blip. And yet, you know, you look at like the uh, you know the 90s cartoon, MJ shows up in that but Gwen doesn't really show up until like, the final episode. So it's not portrayed there. In the movies, they don't really try to ever really get into this kind of love triangle thing. Is it just this kind of people's fondness for these issues? Like wh- where do we think this kind of thing was built up? Uh, the Ultimate Spider-Man comic book?
2: Um, I, I think it has a lot to, I think it started earlier than that. I think if you go back and you look at Spider-Man comics, like, especially like annual issues, you know, the ones that count, Dan, um, when they have like the B and C stories that were like always kind of like these flashbacks and stuff like that. Like I always found the, the stories that kind of looked back nostalgically on this era, they're the ones who started, I feel like priming this issue of a love triumph, like a proper love triangle where there was really this sense of doubt about where these characters were going to end up and who was going to end up with who. Because I always feel like, you know, and then even more modern nostalgic tales like Blue and um, To Have and To Hold. I mean, like, to have, the the joke about To Have and To Hold is very focused on the Peter-MJ marriage. Spider-Man Blue is obviously very focused on Gwen. And yet they both have scenes in them where they, go back to that party that I was just referring to where Gwen gives MJ the hamburgers and they start go-go dancing. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. they, they they all keep going back there. And they, and I feel like by constantly putting that era on a pedestal in terms of how it's like homage constantly in the comics and these like flashback and nostalgic scenes that they kind of like amp up this, this love angle as being something more than it truly ever was.
1: Yeah, that makes a that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was a, whatever it was. It was a slow ramp up to this kind yeah. of uh, uh, of idea. Enough that, like, I, you know, it, it is. There's a certain part of the uh, Spider-Man population that really buys into this, but like, but again, not even enough to really, um, you know, work its way into the movies. Where I think like that could be a really exciting thing to watch on screen. You know, right? Um, oh and, yeah. So, like, it it, it surprises me it hasn't shown up there, but it also surprises me that it kind of shows up at all. But, I mean, who wouldn't want to play with uh, bouncing MJ off of of Gwen? You know, like, it seems like the perfect kind of thing that they would have done and explored more. And I guess it's, like, all of these things. Like, we focus on Peter in high school when, really, he didn't spend that much time in high school. And the same with the Gwen and, and MJ thing.
2: Right, right. You know, and, and it's also just worth noting here, Dan, too, that like, you know, this this buildup or whatever you want to call it is kind of like haphazard and clumsy and not really clear. And then I feel like once that arc with Doc Ock wraps up, because Peter loses his memory, and that kind of creates some drama. But then, like, once he regains his memory, he goes over to Gwen in front of her father she just like throws him throws herself at him starts you know kissing him up and down and it's like just like suddenly it's like oh crap that's they're they're the couple that's it it's over like there's no love triangle anymore after that
1: yeah it does and, seem rather immediate but then like uh, anything else in peter's life it would immediately like it would kind of be brushed aside a little bit and then have a lot of problems related to it
2: yeah i mean i guess this is where Spider-Man Blue was really good because you know through the power of hindsight they like you know painted the you know retcon this whole thing about Gwen giving Peter the Valentine, which kind of like at least made that transition clear cut.
1: It couldn't be but, more clear than a woman in negligee.
2: Yes. <laughs> well, obvious. Yes.
1: Uh, and but that just, and that is that is also the implied
2: Peter loses his virginity moment, right? Yeah, because they – don't they even close a door or something? Well, no. Well, the, the, well, I don't know if that's a loses his – I guess that's the lose the virginity moment because then there's also the, the close the door moment with MJ during the Jerry Conway run, which is considered like the the long-held belief. That's when he first had sex with MJ.
1: Uh, really? I, I never picked up on that. Oh, you didn't? No, I thought it was just like her, like you know, closing the door on that moment and and consoling him. I never got a like sexual thing. Oh no, 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 not
2: after Gwen's death. Oh, okay,
1: <laughs> I did not pick that. No, up.
2: No, no, it's after it's after the the first clone saga, Peter, and it's actually Jerry Conway's last issue. And I asked him about this during my research for the book, and I was like, "So what is that? Is that what? Because other people have rumored is that Peter sleep with MJ." And Jerry kind of did a very – gave a very coy answer where he was like, well, let's just say it was also the end of my run. So I was closing the door on my run. (laughs) Okay, Not very clear. I'm like, you bet. You bet, Jerry. (laughs) (laughs) I mean
1: it's one of those two moments, right? I mean I don't want to get too hung up on a fictional character's virginity, but it's an important thing to mark in the pages of Love and Peter Parker.
2: There you go. But but certainly – you know, you got to give credence to the Peter MJ moment because that actually happened in real time, whereas the blue moment you're, you're discussing is a retcon. So,
1: yes, but who could forget the Gwen in Neglaché?
2: Correct. Um, man, this, this issue is really going all over
1: this episode. <laughs> <soon>.
2: <laughs> but,
1: um, I swear we're not this creepy all the time.
2: <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I feel like by issue 61... It's, it's peter and mJ uh, Peter and Gwen are together and, and and the book you know if you keep going forward in the book from that point on all of the drama centers around Peter and mJ and that relationship and how being spider-man affects that relationship whether it be like there's the you know the, the where captain stacy gets brainwashed into stealing something for the kingpin and Peter accidentally knocks him down and that becomes a drama because you know she thinks he's beating up her old old man father <laughs> like you do uh, like you do um and then like peter gets kidnapped by mr Myster- spider-man gets kidnapped by mysterio and gets brainwashed into thinking he's miniature sized <laughs> so like that's like the whole drama of that storyline is like well i gotta get back to Gwen and be full size because she won't like me with when i'm tiny if you know what i mean <laughs> again like you do. Like you do. And even like MJ during these issues, she gets like that weird short haircut. Oh,
1: yeah. The, the really bad
2: one. Yeah. Or it's just like, are you trying to make her less attractive? Or what's going on here? It's like Harry with the Fu Manchu. Exactly.
1: Like, like what happened here? Yes. Let's forget this ever happened kind of thing.
2: But right. Yeah. So, I mean, at the, by this point, I mean, Peter... MJ, again, is there, kind of the stir the pot. She kind of dates Harry for a little bit, but not really. Um, And it's not played for drama
1: either. Like, there's no, like, Peter really pining over, you know, MJ dating Harry in the way that you would see in, uh, like, the first Spider-Man movie.
2: Right, right. You know, there's – during the the drug – The drug issues, which we're going to talk about later in the season. I mean, there's there's this because Peter and Gwen are technically broken up at that point because that's right after Gwen's father died. MJ kind of starts throwing herself at Peter again. But Peter is kind of like, hey, man, you're screwing over Harry. That's no good. (laughs) So it's like, really, the drama is gone at that point. I mean, it's there's there's really no sexual tension of any kind between Peter and MJ. and, And there wouldn't be again until after Gwen's death. So um, – and again, the book would be about Peter and Gwen and their relationship and the drama that came from that. So like you said, we're talking about 20 issues here for the most part, something that I think due to the powers of nostalgia has been extrapolated into being like this like epic 50-issue love triangle. It just wasn't the case.
1: <laughs> yeah. So uh, an, an interesting thing to kind of look back on. So, you know, Mark, the the, the essential question comes down to – if reducing women to, uh, you know, a, ch- a choice, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I hate doing this, but it, it is it is a question: Are you a fan of the Peter Gwen relationship or the Peter MJ relationship more? I mean, I think we've kind of already, I mean, based on our own life choices, if that if that has anything to do with it, uh, uh, c- cast our cards. But uh, I do want to talk about this.
2: I mean, it's interesting because, like, I mean. I think from how the characters are portrayed and depicted in their personalities, I'm team MJ, but you know, she's not, she's not a very good match for Peter until much later. Like, you know, like she's, she has no desire to commit. She seems almost, you know, a little too freewheeling um, in terms of where her attentions are. And, and they don't really play that as being, Oh, well, she's just being an independent woman. Like it's not, I don't always get the sense that MJ is empowered and how she kind of jumps around the room. There's like, there's almost like kind of this whole thing, like, Oh, she just doesn't care. You know, like, <laughs> uh, does that make sense to you? Or am I, am I overreading it?
1: No, I think that's how the characters are reading. It is like MJ is kind of annoying in her kind of ambivalence to really settle down with anything. You know, they enjoy that she's a free spirit, but everybody's kind of keeping her at arm's length because, they know that she's kind of flighty.
2: Yeah. I mean, like I said, it's not, it's not like a women's lib empowerment thing here. Not in the least. It's quite the opposite, I feel. <laughs> so.
1: Yeah. Um, but, but at the same time, like, you know, what's great on it is that these writers seized on that. You know, like talking about Tom DeFalco, and we'll, we'll talk about this when we get to, to talking about their run. It, it was very smart of them to seize on that as a, an opportunity for character growth you know and 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 it's it's the thing that ultimately made her such a rich character you know it, is that they were able to explore it in the way that they were so you're right yeah we we are approaching this with a bit of you know like 2020 hindsight
2: yeah anyway Dan i mean how do you feel after reliving all these issues i mean does it does it change your your hindsight lens of what you've always thought about the relationships here or
1: I mean, it, it, I think I think it's, it's important to kind of, you know, look at this in the context of the times, and Gwen was kind of your typical Silver Age girlfriend, you know? Like, she was no more, really no more interesting than any of the other female love interests in the pages of Marvel Comics, and briefly, this character of MJ shows up and just kind of... I mean, my, my read has always been MJ was very interesting and I wish I could time travel and make the kind of like love triangle a little more strong throughout because I wanted to just read more MJ. But it doesn't really change. I mean, I, I've kind of long accepted. Once you read the issues, you go, oh, it wasn't really quite as prevalent as, you know, all the annuals you like to denigrate have made, uh, have made it seem. <laughs> But it's almost more interesting in that way because – I mean ultimately we're going to talk about Gwen's death. But that decision was made on the back of what we're talking about right now is that Gwen really wasn't that interesting or progressive of a character. No. And um, and it's funny how the arc of Spider-Man and Peter's love interest is going to – like in a way directly mirrors the development of, of women and, and I guess – love interest in the pages of comics in general. So um, it, I, I, I guess I wouldn't change anything because it, the comic is allowed to grow in, in the way that comics grew in general.
2: Right, right. But, but you're absolutely right. I mean, the, what what truly distinguishes Gwen from Jane Foster or Karen Page or um, Be- Betty Ross or any of these other characters that were kind of like the, the wags of the heroes
1: <laughs> well especially Sorry, under so. especially under john Romito's tenure like yeah. dicko's gwen actually had a little more interesting going on in that she was a sort of antagonist yeah i don't know how that lo- how long that could have been maintained uh you know maybe he would have some kind of weird masochistic relationship <laughs> with gwen god bless <laughs> but uh yeah I mean, it is interesting in that this is how it turned out, and there's no other way to read it, and uh, and you know, uh, it's just fun to look back on.
2: righty. well, why don't we why don't we go go home, Dan? Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us for our second episode of our second season of the all new Amazing Spider Talk, Dan. Our next episode will be out in two weeks, around March seventh. And uh, what are we going to call that show?
1: Yeah, it's going to be called The Coffee Bean, where we'll be discussing the expanded cast of characters that appeared during this run and how they quickly formed the backbone of Peter's amazing supporting cast. So we're going to be talking about Harry and Flash and Robbie and all these characters that were introduced during this run and would, you know, kind of be still the supporting cast of Amazing Spider-Man, you know – as a comic and movie and and all these different forms of media, they all kind of came out of this run if not coming out of this run were um more integrated into the book and peter 's friend group in this run
2: yeah, and they would i feel like they all got their own stories more in in this run, which is something that um would obviously be u- utilized a lot going forward i mean is that a fair assessment
1: yeah, absolutely, and then maybe we 'll talk a little bit about the coffee bean itself.
2: There we go. Yeah, I, we got we to gotta figure out exactly the first appearance of the coffee bean because, like I said, I thought, I thought for sure it was during these is, issues we just talked about today, and it clearly wasn't. So I don't know what's going on, Dan. Where is that coffee bean? Where is that confounded coffee bean? Also, for our Patreon subscribers, be sure to check our Patreon page and your podcast feed for a special review of Amazing Spider-Man number 795 as well as a review of the new Amazing Spider-Man Annual number 42. Uh, Of course, for just $3.99 a month, the price of a new comic, you'll get access to these exclusive new issue reviews, Swarm B-Book reviews, extended interviews, mailbags, and more. And then for $10 or more a month, you get access to some awesome commissioned artwork. Uh, Sounds like a great deal, Dan. Before we go for for good, why don't you tell us where we can find you on the interweb?
1: Yeah, if you want to engage with me or follow me, you can just follow me on Twitter at at sup spider talk or my more personal account which is at dan Gavosden. and of course when i get around to it i'm writing over on superior uh mark you're free to make fun of me for not doing that amazing <laughs> spider-man 795 <laughs> review anytime you want
2: <laughs> oh man yeah when i posted the annual one i was like dan i, I did my annual one but 7.95 hasn't gone up yet <laughs> Do we want to post it? He's like, we'll just post it, it's fine
1: <laughs> It was a lot of editing I'm sure, I'm sure our listeners have been happy With all the episodes we've yes. been getting
2: lately So Yes, the Venom, the Venom Inc. combination episode uh, is, is God's work That you did there, Dan so.
1: <laughs> It was a long episode, let's just say yeah. that So yeah. I hope people enjoyed that um, Mark, what about you? Can we, can we find you on the internet making fun of me?
2: Oh, of course. Well, you can you can find my reviews actually posted on SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. dot <laughs> com, <laughs> and uh, you can find me on Twitter at chasingasm blog, and of course the book One Hundred Things Spider Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. Mark, I don't know if it's ever mentioned in this run, but
1: Uncle Ben would go on to be famous for saying one of the greatest sayings of all time in comics, in the media, in general. And Mark, you're here to tell us what that
2: is, right? yeah i believe his words were flash stop breathing on me no 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 it was with great podcasts must also come the all-new amazing spider talk